We ready? Yes. Good afternoon, Meat Suits. Welcome back to Read It and Weep. We are a podcast that used to be about books. I am your host. I am Alex Falcone. I am back in sunny, almost too warm Los Angeles. I'm back in uh, the North Korea neighborhood, North Korea town neighborhood of uh, of Los Angeles, back from the frozen north, and glad to be here talking to my friend uh, joining me today at Anthony Lopez Part 2. He's in Southeast Portland. It's Mr. Anthony Lopez. Uh, I think a very good app quote for this episode is you don't pick the podcast, you don't pick the ballroom, you just podcast in it. <laughs> no matter what the situation you, is. That's you exactly know? right. We don't pick the studio. Um, this is uh, going to be our second ever Office Hours episode. It's just Anthony and I today. I got a private session with Professor Lopez, um, as was uh, is off this week, and then Hunter got called into work on short notice. Yeah. You've uh, been falling a little bit behind, so I asked him to stay at the class, <laughs> so we can have a which one on one. It's been so long since I've been in school. That phrase only means something gross. Um, I, it's I'd like forgotten that that used to be a thing that could happen in a non-sexual context. <laughs> you know, right now it's only yeah. I only hear that in role play. Um, so this is uh, uh, season three. We're continuing on season three. This is the uh, back to school season, specifically slightly condescending film school with Professor Anthony Lopez. And this is season three, episode eight. Um, actually, this is so. I wanted before you talk about today's movie, uh, Anthony. Um, so you're you're holding me after class. Hunter uh, held me after class a couple weeks ago when you were injured, and. Um, you so you missed out on our conversation that week uh, about uh, about Citizen Kane. I did indeed, uh, and I I kind of wanted to talk about it a little bit. Uh, yeah. Not I mean not really because I mean that's Citizen Kane is one of those things is like what new are you gonna say about Citizen Kane? You know yeah. what I mean? It's uh, and this sort of the main point I wanted this I, I uh, sort of wa- wish I was there to talk about. I don't know if you guys covered this, but. I think it's really literally fascinating. no way for you to find out. Um, yeah, no way. I could not. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, was one. I think it's the type of movie that its reputation really works against it in a way. Hmm. That because people always say like it's one of the greatest movies ever made. That I think that triggers and something and certain people that makes them think like a it's going to be a very boring slow dry old yeah movie. and it makes people sort of cross their arms like prove it to me movie yeah and it's actually like a very funny very energetic movie like totally. it's really not what i think most people assume like it's going to be this very stuffy uh boring movie but uh, I, yeah I, so i definitely i don't i don't know if i was affected by that but the movie overcame it i definitely had a good time it was a fun movie um mm-hmm. i and i feel the same way about uh um about uh, White House, Casablanca. Sorry, I translate it because we're in America. Um, <laughs> I feel the same way about Casablanca, which is that like it was built up, and then I watched it, and I was like, touche, Casablanca. Yeah, this, I this mean, is Casablanca is a weird one because it's, you know, there's a lot of very famous lines and moment in Citizens Kane's, but Casablanca is yeah. one of those movies that every line of dialogue is like a famous iconic well, line but most of them are like wrong most of them are remembered incorrectly which made it yes. kind of a weird game where you were like wait is that it or is there a, are they gonna say it 
the right way. Yeah. Um, but the one thing I really wanted to bring up um, uh-huh. is, have you ever heard Donald Trump's take on Citizen Kane? <laughs> no, I did hear last week, obviously, after the Oscars, uh, he was very upset that a Korean language film won the Oscars and that he thinks it should have been Gone with the Wind, which was yeah. ineligible this year because um, it was not made last year. So Yeah, turns al- out. Also, uh, just of all the movies he could have randomly picked, he was like, look, I don't like this movie because they speak another language. What happened to good films like racist movie? Well, I think that's exactly why he picked it. I mean, yeah. look at the crowd he was talking to. He, yeah. He, uh, but, but who, who's still okay? So, Gone with the Wind is that one? It's I don't think that's one that lives up to the important old movie hype. You're mostly like uncomfortable because it's racist, right? Who is in? Well, the, who's in a rally today? That's like, yeah, Gone with the Wind. Well, Woo! I mean, the, you know, the thing about like Gone with the Wind is it's one of those movies. Like, uh, I think like Wizard of Oz is definitely much better, but it's one of those movies that was like, if you look at. It's sort of box office run and what it did for movies. Like, it's just a movie everyone knows, right? Right. It's a movie you can literally, even people who have never seen it, if you say Gone with the Wind, they're like, oh, yeah, there's like a really, you know, there's some famous lines. Everyone knows what it is. And it's, you know, very much like a an American movie, you know, made by Americans, stirring some foreign people, I think. Uh, yeah. But... <laughs> I have uh, um, yeah. I have a joke about I'll, I'll let you get to your point, but I just on that thought I have a joke about um, the supposed hidden meanings of Wizard of Oz being about um, America and the gold standard. And I when I when I did that joke when I did that joke in Canada, they get it. Like that's how iconic that movie is. That even yeah. like a not actually the thing that people say, but thing people say about the movie and what it meant like is known today in most corners of North America. But so yeah, so what was the so so what did but, what did Donald uh what did Mr. Trumpets have to say about uh, but there's uh you know, I don't know a lot about Donald Trump's film taste. Here are the three <laughs> things I know about it. I know one, I believe the only film he has screened in the White House since he became uh president was The Joker. Yes. I um, we talked about that and yes, that I looked that up. That is true. The only film <laughs> that he showed was Joker. Um, I know his favorite movie of all time is Bloodsport with his son fast-forwarding through the talkie parts. <laughs> that, that for sure sounds made up. No, that's true. You can find he, uh, he used to, I guess, for some, like, he would, uh, whenever he would watch Bloodsport constantly, and whenever they would get to the talkie parts, uh, which is not a lot of in Bloodsport, he would have, uh, Eric or Don get up and fast-forward through them. So they were there, his, like, He didn't even have Blood a remote. Sport. He just had his kids no, yeah. do it. No, he had a remote. He just had his kids do it as a power move, you know? Um, Are you, but, for, some, for saying, claiming you don't know much about his taste in movies, you do know three things, which is pretty well, impressive. Well, I do not. And then I know this. Uh, I know his... One of my favorite things... And I think this actually really... I think those two things really get at the man in very uh, profound ways. But this is um, something that really has always struck me as one of the things I'm surprised is not talk to you know, he does a lot of things worth talking about and being disgusted so this probably it doesn't actually rank but i think this really gives you an insight into the man where he calls it uh one of his favorite movies 
And he says, uh, there was a great ride, rise in Citizen Kane, and there was a modest fall. The fall wasn't financial. It was a personal fall. Uh, but it was a fall nonetheless. Uh, ultimately, uh, the point of the movie is get yourself a different woman. Uh, <laughs> but I love that he watches Citizen Kane and is like, well, he's still rich at the end. So, like, he's the hero. He's happy, right? You guys got to, like, marry differently. Like, he watches this movie about this guy whose only real happiness was being a child and having a simple sled, and he doesn't get that at all. What he gets is like, yeah, and he not only died, but he took a snow globe with him. What a badass. Uh, <laughs> he so, so he watched this movie, uh, and he was like, I don't understand what he, why he wants a father. Fathers were very mean to me. So yeah, all that matters is the money. Yeah, I think he, he literally watched Citizen Kane and was like, yeah, at least they're talking about him after he's dead. <laughs> uh, that's that's it. He's sort of like, he relates to the idea of their dining room table getting further and further apart yeah. over the montage. Yeah. He's like, I, I, I feel that. That's honesty in filmmaking. Um, I, but it's, it's interesting because I want, I, like, I, his relationship to other rich people is super interesting because he is not actually that rich. And so watching someone like 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 Kane, who is obscenely wealthy, and still and like is gaudy, but still has so much more taste than trumpets, is like a yeah. really. It must be weird to like be constantly. I mean, it's almost like, um, like uh, you know that uh, that Japanese game show where people try to like match their bodies to the hole in the wall that is moving towards them. Yes. Of course you do. Um, Anyway, that's, I feel like Donald Trump looks at the world with glasses that have that kind of a shape in them where it's like he can only see this very specific shape of what he wants in his brain and he somehow just misses everything else. It's, it's kind of incredible. Well, it's, it's like, you know, how in um, the first act of Citizen Kane, when he's talking about how his, his newspaper is going to lose money every year for, like, the principle of the yeah. matter? Yeah, uh, Donald Trump doesn't see the principle, and he's just no. like, yeah, losing money, that's a thing businesses do. <laughs> like, instead of having your No, actually, paper- that's why he had the, the Taj Mahal in Atlantic City go bankrupt repeatedly to sh- for the principle that it stood for. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he yeah, was like, "Look, um, the know, important thing is cultural appropriation, and we're going to do that no matter the cost." Yeah, I mean, saying that the Indians who are obstructing him don't look Indian enough. You know what I mean? That's <laughs> he all stands that on principle. The They're just the wrongest principles. So, uh, uh, I really appreciate you adding that to my knowledge base because I did not know that, and I am, you know, as always, horrified by every new piece of information that comes in about our president. But that is a yeah. fun surprise. But yeah, I, um, there's, I think it's from like an unreleased, I don't know what the documentary is, like an Errol Morris interview. Uh, so it has like that very specific Errol Morris style. Like, I, I don't know if you, you know who that is, right? The documentary yeah, filmmaker. Yeah, he has yeah. this like technique of people like looking straight into the camera and answering questions. Um, and it's a Trump in one of those just bragging about how great. Kane is. It's a very I, surreal piece. I of grabbed a link to, to something that I hope has it, but I'll do. I'll, I'll make sure to put this in the show notes on readdeathweep.com so you can find out. Uh, so you can watch more about that for yourself. Um, 
besides uh, continuing to think about Citizen Kane months later, uh, what else? Yeah. You, what else were you watching this week? I'm sad we're going to miss um, Hunter's weekly update about Star Trek. Yeah, but what's I am, I'm missing that too. But next week we get a twofer. Yeah, we'll, get, we'll uh, find out what two so. episodes were like. So, so what else have you been watching? Um, I've watched a few things this week. Um, the two I'll talk about is uh, I did my sort of every few years check in on Jaws. Uh, haven't seen the movie in a few what? years and it's it's just one of those movies you know like every few years uh, I just get a hankering to watch it uh, so huh. Heather and I this one was Heather she's really wanted to rewatch Jaws she's been talking about it with a co-worker uh, and still holds up still one of the best movies ever made um, just oh, incredible jeez alright um, well now I gotta figure out what you mean by that by Jaws yeah now I feel like we have to watch that like I, no. you can like Jaws, sure, but like, what do you mean? One of the greatest, what are you, the best movies ever made? That is a large. Uh, that's a large opinion about Jaws. No, I mean, for its like genre and like a, it's a own. Um, Jaws is a pretty much perfect movie. There's not like I wouldn't put it in like necessarily like my top. I mean, it might actually be in my top ten, but it's one of those movies that like I mean, there are millions of movies made. It is easily in con- like one of the greatest. I think it's it's just a perfect movie. There's nothing uh, I can. You know, I mean, the robot shark, shark looks terrible, but but it's only you only see it for like thirty seconds in the entire movie. Like this, so much more. Also, of shooting it a um, shooting a can of compressed air does not do that. Yeah, but it's also a movie, dude. A lot of <laughs> giant sharks don't yeah, purposely sure. hunt down. No, I know, but if you were, but when you say yeah. perfect, the things that start yeah. immediately well, popping no. into my head are things that are ridiculous. Yeah, if you want to like cinema sins a movie, but if you I, can sit down and I've like never watch cinema sins, but I get so, that from your tone that it's bad. So I don't want to do yeah. that. I just feel like when you say perfect, it does change the conversation. If you were like, no. it's a fun, it's a great shark movie. No, it's it's I. Jaws is hands down one of the greatest movies ever made. Wow. I genuinely believe wow. it. Uh, it's a perfect film. It uh, and like the thing is, like it's actually funny you bring that up because you know that's not how the book ends. The book is a piece of garbage. Uh, oh, I didn't know that, but I like. I'm glad to hear that. the The writer of the book hated the ending because he was like for that exact reason that that doesn't make sense. That 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 wouldn't work. But the thing is, once he saw it with an audience and saw how they lost their minds because it works in the film, like the thing is, like yeah, shooting a uh, air tank probably wouldn't actually blow up a shark. Not but you know I, what? I, it, not 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 it, probably definitely doesn't. And the only reason I say that yeah. is because there was a MythBusters episode about it, and I remember that. Yeah, but I just think like taking that as like yeah, it's like that. A lot of things in movies wouldn't actually happen if they happened like in real life but to me it absolutely works within the context of the movie um but anyway the jaws was i just wanted to re-say how much i like jaws i'm not here yeah. to get into it the the movie i did want to talk about um was last night i finally got around to seeing they shall not grow old uh which they is a documentary from old. a year or two ago directed by peter jackson I think you would really dig this. It's a, oh, a, a good World sit. War one, um, so yeah, it's a World War One movie directed by Peter Jackson, uh, and it's a if if it's I think it's very similar to what we're talking about today in the terms of like it's a technical marvel. So the movie is about ninety minutes of 
uh, sort of interviews with World War One veterans, just sort of narrating over footage. But they took this, you know, black and white, grainy World War One era footage, and they used the modern technology and modern filmmaking techniques to streamline the video at twenty four frames a second. Because you know, you think like most of the cameras back then were hand cranked, yeah. so like every shot would be different. Like you would have someone filming people eating, then something would exciting would happen, and the filmmaker would start hand cranking it. So they pit it all at one normal speed. They colorized the entire, uh, almost the entire Whoa. movie using actual like. Like coats and armor and things from that period to use it uh, as like the judge for color. They uh, added an audio track to the entire all the footage, so they had like people who do lip reading um, figure out what the people were saying and then have actors read those lines Whoa. along with extensive foley work. Um, and it is it's you know a. You, you rarely get to see, you know, this war in, like, in footage in general. I mean, even in movies. Like, 1917 was, like, a World War One movie, but yeah. they don't it's, make a lot of them. They don't, no, there's they, not a story really, that gets told a lot. It feels like uh, the, the sequel eclipsed it in so many yes, ways. Yes, Absolutely. I mean, you know, you ever think about, like, World War One and Two as, like, movies? They are very, a perfect metaphor for Hollywood. Like, World War One is this, like, really dark, intense story about, like, the man's in- inhumanity to man. <laughs> and, like, just, it's super gritty and dour uh-huh, and very... And then-, and then Two is, like, this big blown-out sequel with supervillains <laughs> and, like, this horrible deus ex machina at the end <laughs> when the Americans just invent this invent super bomb. new technology that no one's ever... Yeah. Yeah, and then the bad guy, the main bad guy, just kills himself off screen. It's like very, <laughs> very bad writing. Yeah, it's um, terrible. But um, it's this a very like a fascinating documentary. I genuinely enjoyed it, and like just seeing, um, knowing the work that went into it, and seeing it, it's definitely not like the most engaging story because, like I said, it's mostly just interviews with British people who you know died 50 years ago being like yeah the country was under attack so i signed up at 15 years old to go kill germans and it's just like kind of depressing yeah. uh to mm. me but i mean like it's a very fascinating uh story but i definitely would suggest checking it out it uh, is up on amazon prime now if oh, you nice. have that uh but yeah they shall not grow old it is a very good set i think i liked it quite a bit my uh i have a very different direction to go with this the, i watched a few things this week um and since you mentioned especially talking about a uh, citizen kane and then like your opinion about um jaws talking about great great cinematic masterpieces i watched something that is on the wikipedia page for commonly considered the worst films of all time uh which is that i watched freddie got fingered yesterday oh, okay uh which uh so what happened was i was uh doing this comedy festival in toronto and the big headliner for the week was tom green and so i've been hanging out with Mm. tom green for the last few days and at one point we're hanging out at a bar and he it's him and me and these two magicians and so we're having a conversation about magic tricks and he's like oh have you seen this one and he does the thing i'm sure you've seen this anthony but if if you guys haven't it's where you bat you, you you shove two forks together and then you shove a toothpick in the middle of the forks 
So like their tines are together, and there's a toothpick in the middle, and then you and then balance you joke that off a horse. <laughs> and then you balance that on another toothpick on a salt shaker, and it's anyway, it's just a cool little bar trick. So he does that, and I was going through my head trying to think of other bar tricks I know, and the first thing I thought of to say was, "Do you have you ever done the thing with flipping creamers? Are you good at that?" And then I remembered the reason I got into that at 15 was because I saw Freddie Got Fingered and his girlfriend does that. <laughs> and I caught myself right before it came out. I was about to ask him if he does a thing that I learned from his movie. Uh, and that was very embarrassing uh, for me. And so I went back. I was like, I was curious about it. And I went back and watched Freddie Got Fingered. And I will say, I'm not going to say that it is the greatest film that has ever been made. But mm-hmm. I think, especially reading the list of worst films of all time, it is definitely better than that i think it is underappreciated and i'm not just saying that because my my new best friend tom green might listen to this i'm saying because it's pretty it's pretty fun and i i watched it i I got it like in a 99 cent dvd bin at walmart when i was a kid so uh like given those like those expectations sort of the opposite of a citizen kane watch like i there's some very funny things about it uh he is bonkers and in in a way that is well captured in that movie and uh you know jerking off uh, uh, an elephant to cover his dad with giant elephant jizz is gross as hell but also like the dad deserves it like there's more emotion to that anyway it's i i, thought, I mean it's funny um, and they're very quotable who, a, yeah uh, who plays the dad in that it's a uh, uh, rip torn rip torn is such so dedicated yeah he's to the terrific absurdity. in that um, but yeah, no, I, you know, Freddy Garfinger, I do think is a movie that has been sort of so cult- culturally reevaluated over the past few years. Is um, it? Yeah, I mean, I've definitely seen some pretty interesting things sort of made or written about it. I've always looked at it as like, it's an absurdist, you know, train wreck or masterpiece, sort of depending on how you want to look at it. I mean, I do love. That there's like um, there's a scene in the movie when he's talking to uh, like a, a, a like a Michael uh, Michael Scott Hall or Scott Michael what's that actor's name anyway he's talking to the guy he's like pitching him cartoons and the guy's like that's ridiculous no one would ever watch it that's terrible and it feels like the pitch he made to Anthony Michael executives. Hall Anthony Michael Hall yeah. Uh, there's just so many things in that movie that feel like um, someone tricking studio executives and film crews into doing this. Yeah. Uh, there's no like real through line. It just feels like someone burning money. Yeah. The description uh, creatively. Exactly that lo- that description of his cartoons where he's like, yeah. I get that it's a cat who can see through doors. It doesn't make sense. It's stupid. And then him being in this position of making a movie that doesn't make sense and is stupid, but on purpose, is a really is is yeah. It's that's exactly a good description of what's happening there. The the Wikipedia refers to it as an American surrealist cringe comedy, which feels like a great description for what it actually is. Yes. And like if you look at the list of films considered the worst of all time, and we've watched a lot of the movies on this list. But if you watch stuff like this, a lot of them are like um, movies where like it was made incompetently and so it doesn't make any sense. Or like mm. like Reefer Madness, where it's made badly because they're crazy people trying to get a point across that's wrong. Or like or like Man on the Hands of Fate is one that's like, you guys are bad at making movies, that's why this sucks. This is a movie that's like, if you don't like it, I get it, but it's 
it's not that he didn't make the movie he wanted. He made ex- he did exactly what he wanted to do in a movie. And uh, I think if you can appreciate it as a surrealist cringe comedy, there is a lot. There's a lot more there to appreciate yeah, than mean, there is in like Monster Hands of stuff. Uh, there was definitely sequences in that movie I would not want to watch again. <laughs> um, but then there's like that sequence in the restaurant when everyone just like. It goes from like zero to a hundred within a second, and there's just like fighting, and it's just insanity yeah. that I just think is like genuinely very funny. There's uh, some great things. There's also some really amazing like quotable things that I still think about and did not remember that it was from this movie. Like when he gets thrown out of the hospital, and he's like, and his his girlfriend's like, "What happened?" He's like, I- "I'm a hero." I guess they got a problem with heroes around here because I saved the day. <laughs> and I love the line, I guess they got a problem with heroes around here, and I think about that a lot. Yeah. Um, so anyway, also like, yeah, just like there's just just him doing weird stuff in movies is like super interesting that he got to the point where he could make that happen. Anyway. Um, uh, if yeah. you do ever want to have a good reading, like I said, there's a lot of stuff about it um, now you can find the people sort of reevaluating it, but if you want to get something from when it came out, you should look up Roger Ebert's review of oh, Freddy Got Finger. Yeah, it's uh one of he's got he was such a good film critic and a, such a good writer, and the way he talks about the movie is amazing. Uh, I generally it's one of my favorite. Oh, film I can't wait! I d- um, of all time. Just a, a quote that just jumped out at me from the um. AV Club talking about about it recently and during its resurgence uh, is less a conventional comedy than a Dadaist provocation. It's like, yeah, I I enjoy the like taking this thing and thinking of it as art. I think it's a really, really anyway, really interesting movie. So um, I enjoyed that. But now we we got a uh, we're halfway done. It's about time to start talking about our actual topic today, which is uh, for um, something condescending film school season three episode eight. We are talking about Into the Spider Verse the 2018 film from the people who brought you Hotel Transylvania 3 and the Emoji Movie. Well, the studio that brought you those <laughs> Yeah, from movies. the studio that brought you... But yes. this is also the studio that brought you, uh, you know, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs and the One filmmakers nine. who brought, you know, you 21 Jump Street and the Lego Movie That's... and a bunch of other great... Uh, wo- Yes, uh, I, and I I don't know how much we're gonna. Do, I, I mentioned that joke early. Uh, we're going to come back to that joke um, and talk about studios uh, in a little bit. Um, but first, Anthony, as well as you can remember, we we did this on air, so it's maybe more obvious if you listen to our last episode. But just remind the fine people mm-hmm. why have you picked this film for me today? Well, um, we were sort of talking about trying you as someone who does not like superhero movies. Correct. And uh, I'm you know I'm not. The hugest fan of them, but I definitely I'm a big fan of movies in general, so I see everything. So I do think that it's there's a lot of really good stuff in the genre. Yeah, and you wanted to try to sort of have. I some wanted sort to understand of, more about the genre. I wanted to have a have a conversation yeah. with you about the genre, and this you think is a an entry point because it is so universally beloved. Well, yeah, and the thing is, you wanted to, um, you know, start with uh, like an Avengers movie, which. Is the worst possible idea for that. That'd be like <laughs> trying to get into Lost by starting with season three, what? episode twelve. You know? I mean, It'd I think like, there well, is something interesting to have a conversation about get an entry point into a genre from its good side or its bad side. Both of those are yeah, interesting, but, but this no, is more this, fun. Those are those are some pretty good movies, but I just think it's 
it's worth doing a little bit. I, I certainly think you could enjoy those movies without seeing the other ones, but it's it's genuinely worth putting in your time to sort of um, see those uh, the films that led up to it. You know, yeah. I mean, I totally understand you now as someone who hasn't seen them. Like, it would be a nightmare to catch up on something like the Marvel series. Um, but because, you know, I've been watching them since they came out, and it's like, you know, one or two movies a year, it's been very easy to be, like, caught up. With, I have watched you know? the first two Avengers movies, and they were some of my most unpleasant movie-watching experiences. But yes. um, but this movie here, I picked it for a few reasons. Yeah. One, I, I think it's, you know, it's a great standalone movie. Certainly, if you have... Uh, love for this character and for like the previous movies especially the Sam Raimi ones you're definitely going to get a bit more out of it um, but I think that this movie is a incredible standalone movie and two in terms of like the film score aspect of this sort of series I said it last week and rewatching it again I fully believe this I genuinely think this is the most important and best American animated movie since Toy Story in terms of like the the groundbreaking techniques mm-hmm. uh, and all these little things that are done in this movie, uh, I think that people say this about a lot of animated movies, but it's not necessarily always true. I definitely think this is one of those movies that you could take literally any frame, especially any frame from the last act, and print it on a poster and put it up on your wall. Yeah, I agree. Uh, 100%. Every single. F- frame of this movie is stunning and yeah, gorgeous absolutely. and um just yeah like the the techniques i don't know if you read too much about it but i read the, nothing about it because i hope you would educate me about these techniques well yeah before, before you the, let, though, actually let me pause you for just one second let me talk about uh, uh this was um something i always mean to do and i forget to do a lot um but uh i was reminded uh recently from an email which i think i will talk more about later but um to to remember to do this at the beginning so at the top of this i want to say for those of you who have not seen into the spider-verse let me give you my quick uh let me give you a quick three sentence summary of it so uh uh, miles is not spider-man uh and he is uh he's too cool for school he does like he lives in new york does graffitis and stuff and listens to music on his uh sony headphones uh, when bam, Spider-Man, he just gets it. Just it the the same spider or another spider in the same goo. Spider-Man's him, and then some things happen. Alternate dimensions, a bunch of other Spider-Men show up, and so now it's. And I think that feels a little spoilery, but it's on the poster, and it's called Spider-Verse. Yeah, it's you get it. Into the Spider-Verse. Yeah, yes, you, yeah, you it get is. it. And in, in the poster, you can. I was like going in. I knew that this was going to happen, and I like from the poster, I was like, so it looks like. Film noir Spider-Man, girl Spider-Man, and small pig Spider-Man. And that's true. That's basically what it is. So you get that from the poster. Anyway, and then it's so that then all the Spider-Men hang out and try to stop uh, evil. Um, so that's your that's your three-sentence summary of, of Into the Spider-Verse. So let's uh, – I have so many things I want to talk about. I do want to talk about the style a lot. Um, yeah. that's, so, so let's start there. We were talking a little bit two weeks ago. No, last week about art. De- we were talking last week about the art department, um, mm-hmm. and I know it's definitely different in an animated film, but like this is not a Sony Pictures, Sony Pictures Animation style animated film. Uh, there's a, especially a lot of the like the um, uh, I don't know like the, um, the 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 Hotel Transylvanias or something all have well, kind of a similar. 
whatever the house, cheapest computer like house animation style. style. Yeah, they have sort of a house style to it. You know, this like uh, Illuminous, uh, who makes like the Minions. And yeah, the, yeah, 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 uh, totally. They have a very specific house and, style. And the house Pixar style is... The, the, like, so for, yeah, for Illuminous, the, the house style is whatever crappy is. It's like, let me make a bunch of movies <laughs> that look bad. That's our house style is bad. And this looks incredible in every frame both the like like the uh, there's like character design things there's also like interesting art artistic choices of like there's a part where the dimensions all blow up and stuff's flying around and it's like nothing i've ever seen and also there's some really interesting it's all it's it's computer animated but it looks comic book page hand painted but then you fly around it in a 3d yeah so what why how is how does this happen well this you know this was like uh first i mean everything about this movie is like uh it's it's kind of crazy to do the the lineage of like where the spider-verse came from uh which is like you know, slightly, it was like the original, the 90s animated show ended with like a multi-universe episode. Uh, oh, and like that I didn't inspires... realize this idea had been kicking around for that long. Well, yeah, so that idea expired, inspired a comic book series like a decade later. And then a decade after that, uh, do you know where Miles Morales comes from? No. So Miles Morales, I think came out like his first comic issue was like in 2008 2009 i'm not a big comic book reader but i the story is fascinating yeah okay. so around the time that they were casting uh, amazing spider-man the very bad spider-man reboot mm-hmm. uh before they had cast andrew girlfield in the role they um in uh auditioned a bunch of actors who were like andrew girlfield you know handsome white guys and yeah, donald a little bit glover uh, at the time, pit his name out there like, I would love just to audition for Spider-Man. Yeah. And it started this huge internet campaign behind it. And he, he did not get the role, obviously, because they weren't ready then. But that inspired the uh, a writer named Brandon Michael, Brandon, Brandon Michael Bendis, I believe is his name, uh, to create a Spider-Man who was a person of color. And rather than like just color swap Peter Parker... They invented this new Spider-Man, Miles Morales, who has, like, this, you know, Af- uh, black father, Spanish mother, uh, who's from, like, a sort of more, you know, um, modern interpretation of New York than, like, yeah. the old Peter Parker was. Yeah. So, like, to get from uh, this, like, comic book uh, to, like, this character being invented because of a Donald Glover fan campaign. That's so crazy. To, like... The Spider-Man movie That should not bombing. be good. You shouldn't be able yeah. to start with, this character would like to play this movie, so I'm going to write something this good. That does not make sense. Yeah. Well, and then you also have the Sony leak, because like the Spider-Man movie's bomb, and the Sony leak happens. It hurts Sony a lot in terms of like their live-action Spider-Man mm-hmm. production. So they wanted to have a Spider-Man Why does movie, the leak hurt so they them? decided to go animation. What was that? Why does this? Why does the leak hurt them? Well, the leak hurt them just because it hurt Sony in general. It, oh, okay. You know it, like they. Uh, it was just Amy Pascal had to step down as the head of the studio. A bunch of yeah. their projects that were in production got shut down because stuff got leaked about them. Um, but you know it. It helps 
like Sony and Marvel come to the table to put Spider-Man in the Avengers movie. And because of that, there was this long gap that Sony really wanted to get something else out. So they uh, went to Lord and Miller, who are the directing team. They didn't actually direct this. They produced it and... Chris Miller, I believe, and, and Lord wrote and Miller this. are they Lego Lego movie? Yes. Okay, great. So they are the guys you go to when you have a terrible idea and you <laughs> want it if to somehow it turn out great. They've literally built a career out of that. Wait, they what else? Like a, they took a ten-page uh, children's novel called Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs sure. and made a great movie. They took a a horrible idea of doing a 21 Jump Street reboot, and they made it a great movie. They took an even worse idea of the Lego movie yeah. and made it a great movie. A like really, they just, really great movie. I yeah, so they, loved Lego movie. And then originally they were hired to uh, direct Solo, but then they, they famously got fired with three weeks left of production left. Oh, so we really? never got to see their Solo. Uh, which interesting. Because you know, Solo was a terrible just... idea, so it seems like this should yeah. have they should have been in their wheelhouse. Yeah, exactly. But it, they just something with them and Lucas. This, this movie does have sort of a cheekiness that does remind me of Lego Movie. The sense of humor yes. seems similar. So even though they weren't directing it, it definitely feels like they were around and they were cracking jokes. Yeah, and you know, they oh, had and Phil Lord did write the story it. and the screenplay. Yes, and then you also have. Um, you know, like, Sony Animation Studios, I think, is, like, a lot of animation places, you know, you're, it's kind of weird to be in this place when you're in the shadow of Pixar, like, all major yeah. animation studios are. So, I think that, you know, they, they had a real sort of fire in their belly to do something unique, plus the freedom that Lord and Miller's success kind of uh, back cast to blank over check this. theory, which is the thing yeah. where every week we talk about a better podcast. Yeah, <laughs> um, but you you have this whole sort of like all these things that had to come together. And then, you know, there's if you read up on this movie, it's like the, it was like a very small team of like one to two people who spent a whole year just trying to get this like animation style to work. Like spending a year just to do like 30 seconds worth of footage just to show what they wanted to do. And then this ended up blowing up to being Sony Animation Studios' largest film they've ever worked on. Something like like 90 animators usually work on their movies. I read this had like 170, Whoa. 180 animators. Um, yeah, just because the amount of work and the sort of like, you know, their goal for trying to make a movie that looked like a comic book come off the page and was in real life. Like it was the most of the movie is like 3D models like you normally get with a CG movie. And then they animated over that on a 2D plane. Oh. Um there's all these things like I don't, if you look at really old comics because of the way comics were printed, every once in a while you would get like this color misalignment. So if you look at old comics, you would see like these weird dot patterns. Sure, yeah, that yeah, are, yeah. Like, colors, colors being off. Like so, those colors are supposed to be printed on top of each other, but they get slightly misaligned. So you get this old effect in comics, and they you know like added that. They added these like little scratch marks and cross hashing to like the animation to give it more of a 2D drawing look. And just the amount of detail that went into every frame. And I mean, like, this movie, it absolutely deserved 
to win uh, the Academy Award. Uh, Sony Animation Studios just won uh, Best Short at the Oscars this year for this very charming little short called Hair Love. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. I didn't, yeah. Okay. It's very good. Uh, it's up on YouTube. I would definitely suggest very different tone than this. Yeah. Um, but is absolutely incredible as well. So I do think they are really. Do they do? I didn't. So why are they doing shorts in the same way that Pixar is doing shorts? Where they well, just yeah, I think they've always the done shorts. Most most animation studios, you know, it's a great way to test new directors and you know keep oh. your staff busy. I don't think I've ever seen a, a Sony animation movie in theaters. So I guess I didn't realize that. Yeah. Well, they don't pitch shorts. I do think they do occasionally run shorts, but a lot of them just get released sort of on their own. But I do think Hair Love was in front of whatever the last big Sony picture was. Um, But I forget what it was at the moment. Um, Well, so so all of that sounds crazy, but it does have that same theory from last week where it's like you need you need a couple people who have had one or, or multiple people who have had so much success doing things that should not work or pulling off mo- great movies in like difficult circumstances yeah. that they then get a huge amount of creative freedom to do something like where they are really obsessive about the details and then that that is their own and then they are able to make something that's actually really great art yeah but i mean i would imagine that this was also the um the type of project like i i I've only seen the first Hotel Transylvania movie. I have met some people who really swear by them. Say that like I do like the Somebody, the guy who made them is the guy yeah. who like did Samurai Jack and stuff like that. Um, but some people really like those movies. Yeah, but somebody told me. The, I heard some somebody say recently that they were watching like what four and with their kids and like it had yeah. a lot of actually like really interesting stuff going on. But but not too. Um, you know, disparage that movie, but you have to think, like, if you're working in a studio on, you know, whatever the sort of bad Sony animation projects are. Well, so this movie was in production in. at a similar time to the Emoji movie. Yeah, so, so imagine like, there if were you're, the like, same, on the you, Emoji people were team. clocking in. Yeah, you'd walk yeah. by the Emoji room to get to this room. That's a weird work environment. Yeah. But to the excitement that that must have brought to the entire staff, right? I can oh, yeah, only imagine true. what, like, the people who got to switch over from one to another. When yeah, like, you, feel, you get oh, a yeah. Wolf. Oh, it would be so weird to leave the emoji, like, the emoji movie's done, you're like, great, well, that's the worst thing I'll ever be near. And then you walk across the hallway to your new job um, on this next movie, and what a different work environment. Oh, man, that's crazy. Yeah. So I just imagine that this was the type of movie that was probably incredibly difficult to make, yeah. but was one of those things that every day you were excited for the challenges you were going to run into, um, just so, because the amount of like just small little details and things they put into every frame. It's so not, cool. Yeah, not even including like you know the billion spider-man easter eggs it is the type like usually i get kind of annoyed when a movie is like hidden reference hidden reference hidden reference but this made me like want to know more about spider-man so i could get more of the little jokes and things they put in in the back well and i didn't get any of them and i don't care but i like that they're there because that it feels like when you're like I'm sure this is true on a lot of video games, but I've not played a lot of video games. I've played a lot of pinball. It's true in pinball, where you're like, you're making a machine that someone who just walks in and has a couple of quarters 
and is willing to screw around with will have a good time on and also one that friend of the podcast and ranked pinball player nick delahanty who we talked to last summer like something that he will have fun on also and you designing for both those is really difficult Mm-hmm. And this feels like that same task where you're designing a Spider-Man movie for someone like me who thinks this might be one of the stupidest characters in cinematic history and I have to sit through another fucking Spider-Man in my lifetime. And then I get here and it's a delight. And then also people who love Spider-Man are having a fun time. So you're you're yeah. aiming at both those. And, the, and I think the Easter eggs are a good way of like bypassing me and talking to the nerds. Mm-hmm. And, and also I think... Not that I'm not a nerd, just different movie- nerds. Because it has, you know, like a new central character that not a lot of people are familiar with. Like, I don't know if you were familiar no, with Miles Morales before this movie. No. Um, so, like, having that sort of new entry point. But also, this is kind of goes back to the reason of why I sort of chose this movie, besides all the love I've already lavished on it. But I think that this movie, because of, like... It's sort of the theme and message that this film sort of gets at of, like, anyone can be behind the mask. And that's kind of the why people, you know, this started with, like, why do people like these types of movies? Why do people love this hero in particular? I think this is a really great way to understand that one of the best things about Spider-Man is that he is, like, a dorky kid who has his own problems in life but chooses to be a hero anyway. And well, anyone can relate to those problems. You know? I, anyone I don't can... feel like he had much of a choice, um, but because uh, he like his hands are so sticky that it ruined a girl's hair. Like if he didn't learn how to become a superhero and control his stickiness, he was his life was over. He but, was I just mean, sticking to people's to hair everywhere. Stickiness and not be a hero. No, he know, had to go it? through hero training to learn that. He needed to train under another Spider-Man to find out how to turn but, those off. So basically. He was like, "Look, you have this power that is a curse unless you use it for good." He, I, well, other, I mean, his choice could have been to be a supervillain, um, but that, like, that his choice wasn't to be like, "I'm just going to go back to school. I'm going to be an artist." And that's the thing that this movie doesn't address is like his life as an artist is mostly over. He's got <laughs> he's still going to school full time and also being Spider Man full time. The kid does not have time for hobbies. He does kind of, he supposedly makes friends with his roommate at the end of this, but this dude is not going to have a lot of friends. His life is very alienating. Like, I, I, I think that the, the spider is more of a curse than a gift in, in a lot of ways. The world needs Spider-Man, but he is worse off. Um, well, I mean, I would argue we, we will find out when the sequel comes out. Yeah, when the, the sequel comes out and destroys this IP. Uh, but I think, um, I actually, I think the ending of it with him saying, like, anyone can be Spider-Man is also ruined because... He killed the spider that bit him. So he is the last Spider-Man because he there could have been more Spider-Man, but he was like, no, I'm going to kill this spider who did nothing wrong except spidering around, and now he's dead. There's no radioactive spider. Well, uh, okay, we got to back up here (laughs) for a second. We we don't have to. The important thing is that my stupidity did stump you for one second it like no, it broke your brain you you your brain went and then did not start because you were so floored by the dumbness of what i just said well yeah i mean the thing is is like i could it's like what what how do i want to engage with yes this? like i can or I do can you is it worth like, it if you engage yeah, like, do i win automatically a narrative sort of reason but i i want to get to the like again you understand that like 
the way that Snowpiercer themes is not snow, this movie's theme is not spiders, right? Well, okay, so but, but remember, Snowpiercer's one of the themes is piercing. So if spiders are not the theme, verses are? Can, well, wait, when did we decide that Snowpiercing oh, is about piercing? Piercing what? is not the theme, but it is a theme. And we're going to cut, this is something that uh, Hunter agreed to, so it's canon now. But we'll come back to this in a later episode when we have everybody back together, because I do want to talk more about themes. Um, I think that is actually a better discussion. Let me, instead of make, having you engage on that stupid point, let me let me have you engage on the central question that brought us here today and i'm trying to do this thing to make slightly kind of sending film school better where i have a central question that i'm coming i'm bringing to the table and my 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 central question is yes why... adding adding nick cage does make movies better oh my I think god that is it was the main so, and especially when i realized that was the voice i, I was like i love yeah. that voice who is that and then i remember yeah. it was nick cage and i was so happy um yeah. It does help. Oh, wait, was that does that not your question? Was not my central question. That was a better? secondary question. My central okay. question is is why comic book movies? Why are they as big as they are? And to further refine this question, comic books themselves feel like kind of a fringe activity. There are like comic book sales aren't dominating book sales in the in the world. They feel no, not, at all. not mainstream, and they just and this is largely anecdotal. I hang out with a lot of nerds, and I these are my people, and I love us. However, even among the nerds, not that many people actually read comic books. So, did were people banging down the doors of Hollywood for comic book adaptations, or is there something about the genre that just clicks super well, or? Is this something that the Bobs just forced on us from Disney down? Well, I would argue that it's it's kind of all of them plus a few other things. Uh, one, I do think that we have very unfortunately, like I do, like I said, I do watch a lot of comic book movies, uh, and mm-hmm. I, I do enjoy a lot of them. Does it bum me out that they're the majority of I think most people's theater going experiences yeah. that we get? superhero movies at the detriment of getting original unique movies yes that does bum me up it genuinely makes me sad about the state of um, media and the film industry but i do think that there's a few things that um uh kind of explain to it one i think sort of the monoculture and nerd culture becoming the dominant culture has definitely been a big part of it it's one of those things everyone at least has some relation to these characters in one way or another, you know? Um, But yeah, I mean, comic books aren't necessarily banging down the doors, but they're very valuable IPs, you know, because, I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day, they're meant to be kids' movies. And that's like, look, I'm I'm really glad we're getting, like, rated O superhero movies, whatever. I A part of me always think that's weird, even the ones I like. I'm like, these are fucking kids' stories. Kids should be able to enjoy this. But I do think that... You know, you certainly have this sort of, like, growing monoculture, uh, especially nerd monoculture, uh, that people, uh, just these IPs becoming such well-known characters and such beloved characters, then I think that there is a natural um, effect of sort of, like, with the rise of special effects and CG becoming so prevalent, superheroes always made sense as the place to use those abilities. Yeah, sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, 
I think that there is a sort of, uh, you know, film history is filled with these eras, right? There was a time when all studios made were westerns. Yeah, there was, was just, a time yeah, when all studios yeah. made were musicals. There yeah. were, you know, the muscle brown uh, action movies of the 80s. Like, yeah. when people act like this, um, this sort of phenomenon of all these studios chasing uh, one genre is like, a new thing it's like we've always done this it's just a different thing oh that's interesting so, uh, th- so that suggests that it almost certainly is a bubble and will fade away in some period well, of time i mean i would argue if that the bobs will let it yeah but also i think that like it's one of those things that is going to like diminish but probably never go away because like westerns and musicals have never gone away they're just not the main well, no, and actually, genre the, that's the being number made, of um, of musicals and westerns feels right. So if if superhero movies were also like one or two a year, and they're or even just one a year, and they're great on average, I'd be very pleased with that. Um, yeah, and they were and always trying think... to push it in a new direction, as opposed to like there's seven a year and they seem the same. Yeah, eventually, you know, they will have that, and then I think that also there's um, there's a few sort of sort of more heavy sociological I Actually, um, I want to say be, before you talk about those sociological ones, because the kids' movie thing, I think, is an interesting, is a really interesting point, and it does feel like a lot of our biggest culture is adults admitting that young adult stuff is great. Like, it seems well, like... Well, I mean, like, I, like, I would go the sort of opposite way of that. I think that a lot of our culture is infantized stuff, uh, Arrested development uh, people who <laughs> want to feel like the things they like are for adults, right? So, like, this is not to say that this is everyone who likes comic book movies, but I do think that especially this trend of like R-rated or sort of gritty superhero stories that were very big that seems to be kind of fading is, but is that is essentially driven by people, um, usually uh, sort of young males. Who'll be like, no, this isn't kid shit. This is dark and edgy. Uh, Deadpool says fuck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Joker shoots people, man. Yeah. The stuff I like's for in intellectuals, you know, like but I do like, think so, so I agree with that. I think that's interesting too. But it's like it, it it does feel like the 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 young adult space of topics is more mainstream now than it used to be. And yes. so, like, like, like Harry Potter being one of the dominant IPs of our adult lifetimes, and back to our kids' lifetime, but like, is so huge, and um, uh, like, like the Hunger Games series or something like that, like, just mm. all of these young adult things that, and, and I, I'm guessing ignorantly, but I'm, ass- I'm assuming part of it is that comic books and other youth-oriented writing is more clear like good guy well, bad guy plot point turning point right everything inherent is- power fantasies yes um i do i definitely do think that um there is a a very direct line to a sort of post 911 world of us wanting oh, clean stories with powerful heroes who can save us I do think that there is something inherently fascist about most superheroes. If you well, that's really interesting. Yeah, because it, what we've gone is that, more as a, as as a country at least we've gone more fascist and less safe. Yes. So we've gotten kind of no, a halfsy. But I'm saying, like, I think that that is a part of people just wanting 
you know, like if Superman or Iron Man existed in the world, right, people would feel safer. They yeah. would understand the world better. Yeah. Um, so I definitely do think that there is something. And that's one of the things that, like, really bugs me about, like, Zack Snyder's Superman movies, uh, sort of how much 9-11-esque imagery there is mm. in that, uh, which I think is just kind of hitting the nail right on the head a little bit too bluntly. Uh, but I definitely do think that there is, you know, in the the 19 years since that, there has definitely been a huge, that corresponding with the rise of superhero movies, I definitely think there is a correlation to that. I think that as the world has become less stable, these stories that are incredibly clear and black and white, with strong heroes and villains, um, that plus, like I said, people holding on to things from their childhood, but yeah. also at the same time, I think you look at, you know, you look at our generation and you look at like stuff like stagnant wages and stuff like uh, us never being able to own houses yeah. or all these things. It's like, I don't think that it's necessarily that people um, are like being like I I made, you know, a joke of, like, sort of arrested development and people being infantized, but I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing, because I think that there is a part of it that the world of adults is so bad and bleak <laughs> that people wanting to hold on to what makes them happy is less of a statement on our generation and more of a statement on the previous generation yeah. who gave us nothing to hold on to except for these things. Yeah, like so many things that people um, say about millennials is actually a problem that's deeper than that. Yeah. Um, um, do you, so, so, okay, so um, that also makes me think of how weird it is that Disney owns almost everything in the world now. Um, yes. And I, uh, like... So, so Disney and the Bobs who run it are, um, they are, a, it's a kid's company. It's a company that makes children's movies and theme parks for children. And it's, I, it now owns almost everything ever made. And mm -hmm. it, fascinatingly, not this, which I'm going to come back to in a second, but like, it's crazy that the biggest media company by such a large percentage is so youth focused when kids are not the dominant purchaser of movie tickets in the world. No, well, I mean, you also have, like, the thing that really kind of, like, I think that Disney has, you know, by allowing the creative minds at Marvel in particular, done a fairly good job by that franchise. I'm not a huge fan, especially, like, the last Star Wars or sort of the direction Pixar has gone down since they bought them. It does feel but, like Pixar's been dropping the ball recently, which yeah, I'm not used to. But, and definitely Star Star Wars was like uh, uh, tripped right at the in the final few moments of that race. But there is like something. The thing that really bums me out about it, besides this Disney owning monopoly monopolizing it, but is yeah, like, which is so gross on its own and is definitely worth being angry about. But the thing, yeah, the thing is like you look at the history of Disney before they bought all these movies, and it's like. They tried to make their own comic book-like movies, and they failed. So they said, all right, fuck it. Right. We're just going to buy the biggest comic book thing. They tried to make their own sci-fi franchises, you know, Tron and John Carter, yeah, and yeah. they failed. And they said, fuck it. We're just going to buy the biggest sci-fi franchise. Yeah. And it's just like them being like, okay, what don't we have? What market do we not own a huge piece of the pie of, and they went and bought the biggest. But name specifically, all things that, that are thing. most like like Star Wars movies are at their heart largely kid movies, kids movies. Yes, like they're, so. So specifically, they're on this like taking kids movies. Like so, they were failing at those things, so they bought them. But it's the things that they that they are that they took 
are kids movies for adults that is just like the the biggest portion of the media being made now which is so crazy and it makes me so angry it makes me want to just watch r plus like nc-17 movies it makes like i from now on <laughs> if people don't have live sex in a movie i don't believe it i'm not going yeah i just don't yeah, want... non-simulated i yeah. want the real deal i don't i just uh, don't want all movies to be kids movies. that irritates yeah. me yeah, and you know, it's the type of thing when, you know, they say vote with your dollar, but it's yes. hard to like feel like you're contributing when, you know, like the idea that like uh, a portrait of a lady on fire is like a phenomenal movie and it's going to make pennies compared to the billions that like Marvel is going to make. Like, I can vote with my dollar towards that movie, but it's not going to do anywhere near uh, the Avengers 6 or whatever, you do, know? Do they have sex um, in that movie? Do they what? Do they have sex in that movie? It's like, it's a romance, I, right? I don't want to spoil it for you. I'm going to let you oh. just watch it. Okay, well, because it seems like all the pictures, when I just Google it really fast, are of these ladies kissing. And so it's like, you know, if I'm voting with my dollars, and it's always for people who are have places where they have sex, so that I know no kids are in the movie, this might be perfect it's, for me. It's very good. I would suggest checking it out. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I love I, it. I'm only seeing R-rated movies for the next six months. Yeah, and I, you know, so you can go see Birds of Prey, uh, <laughs> the comic book movie made uh, by the other mono co- uh, company that owns most of the major entertainment brands. Uh, which um, one is that? That's Warner Brothers. That's Warner they Brothers. own like DC, Harry Potter. Oh all yeah, that. but uh, well, I, you know, I've I, since I was a kid, I've always kind of liked Warner Brothers as the yeah. underdog. Um, which is hilarious to I, call Warner Brothers one of the largest. Company no, I know, but but it's well. So it's the same thing as like it's one of the same reasons why I like Google stuff more than Apple stuff. I really love a second place. <laughs> I love an underdog, but not that far under. But actually, this brings me to the question. So, um, uh, this is a stupid question to end on, but this is the last thing I want to a- ask in my no stupid questions, which is why is this not? Why is this Sony? Why does Sony own this? Why do the Bobs not have this particular one? Um, well, so Sony. Uh, the Spider-Man rights are, are very, very complicated. So are the Incredible Hulk rights. Oh. So in the early, in the mid '90s, uh, Marvel was about to go bankrupt. They were mm-hmm. hemorrhaging money, uh, and just uh, I, which you know, Donald Trump and I both respect. Yes, exactly. Um, and uh, a part of the way they stayed afloat, and a part of the way that uh, is actually very interesting about how they got to where they are now, is uh, they stayed afloat by selling the rights of a few characters. Oh, so, like, what Sony, an interesting, sad choice for them to make. Yeah. Well, Sony bought uh, like Spider Man. I think they owned the Fantastic. They owned the Fantastic Four. But no, Fox owns the Fantastic Four along with X Men. Sony right. owned Ghost Rider, Spider Man, and Universal got the Incredible Hulk. But the way the deals work is you only get to keep the the rights to the movies if you make a movie X amount every X amount of years. Right? Oh my god! Okay, so that that's, makes because one of my problems and one of the things I wondered about a lot about spider-man is why every six months is there a new spider-man because it's exhausting and frustrating and i hate it and that makes sense that it's this complicated which i only really know about this part of the rights of industry from um the fantastic four in arrested development and that like 
they're they're running jokes about making terrible fake Fantastic Four movies to continue the rights. So yeah, that is so the only thing that explains like it. Why... And also, that's crazy. The world shouldn't work this way. Yeah, so it's actually even crazier than that. So specifically going with Sony and Spider-Man's relationship. So, like, the Amazing Spider-Man movies were made solely so they could keep the rights. Um, they had to have a movie out and by And boy, if this you've ever time, watched a movie that feels well, they, like it's the clause in a contract, it's the Spider-Man yes. films. But what's crazy about the Sony-Marvel deal is, so... Um, from the way I understand it, Sony was going to miss the deadline to get a movie out to retain the rights. So they renegotiated with Marvel. And the uh, deal they was to be able to keep the rights, um, like to get an extension on the time they had, was Sony decided that they would keep the film rights, but they would lose the merchandising for the toys of Spider-Man, which is something else they got in the rights. Okay. And the toys are more profitable than uh, the movies are, right? So when the Amazing Spider-Man 1 and 2 bombed, that's why they're in this deal now. So, like, the way Spider-Man, Homecoming, and Far From Home, and the Avengers movies work is that Sony pits up the money for these Spider-Man movies uh, and gets to keep almost 100% of the profit. Uh, but Marvel produces and has complete creative control over it. And then Sony oh. allows them to basically rent Spider-Man for the Avengers movies for no money, but Sony doesn't get a dime of those movies. So the part, I understand if you're like, look, we're a dying company and we need money, and so what we'll do is we'll give you the rights, but because we make money every time you make a movie, you need to make enough movies. But the flip yes. side of that is like, you have to make movies... So basically, it's like, look, we're dying, so you, I want you to take one of our most popular characters and ruin it. Like, you're yeah, required I'm, by law to run this franchise into the ground, and that is a strange, yeah. difficult world that we live in. Well, I mean, if you think of, like, even the movies that bomb, right? Like, if Marvel's not paying up any of the money to make the movie, and they're just getting checks and residuals from it, it's not that bad of a deal, right? Unless I mean, you care about really your art. crazy... If you want to look at, like, uh, a crazy deal, it's like, you ever hear about how Marvel... Because, you know, like, Marvel, like, they were exactly the situation you were describing. Yeah. They were... They had all these movies that were getting made that were all garbage and were all ruining all their brands. So they said, fuck it. We're just going to make these movies in-house. So they took out this giant loan from a bank. I think it was bank it was, but... They took out this giant loan that they needed to make sure, like, their first two movies were profitable enough that they could pay back the bank before, like, the certain deadline. Uh, so if they had, if Iron Man had not have been a hit, something like Golden Sacks would own Marvel. <laughs> they, they literally put their entire company on the line. Did you, sorry, did you line. accidentally call them Golden Sacks? Or is Gold, that just... Goldman Sachs. Because I, I the think name? they should be called Golden Sachs. That's Golden a way Sachs. better yeah, name be. for that awful bank. Yeah, yeah, anyway, yeah good, good. But yeah, whatever but they could the have, bank if, was. if it wasn't for Iron Man being good, Golden Sachs would own owns, own all of the this IP. All of the characters, yeah. So it's like the risk they took on that. And that's actually why there's like... I mean, it's really fascinating when you look at like... Uh, you know, so many people were psyched about... Disney becoming even bigger and buying Fox because it's like, well, now Disney and Marvel get the X-Men back. And it's like, cool. And all it cost was like 
thousands of jobs and a yeah. bunch of original movies every year. Yeah. It's you know, it's a fucking tragedy. But oh, man. it is really interesting when you look at like the reason why there's never been a Hulk movie is because Universal owns the rights to a the Hulk film franchise. But they don't own the rights to the character. Oh. So Marvel can what? use the Hulk in their own movies. Uh, but they can't make an original movie just during the Hulk. <laughs> uh, like these... That feels less terrible because it seems he seems like the worst character. Yeah, it's just this weird... You know, it's like... Um, God, like, some of the X-Men movies and the Avengers movies have similar characters... Who have the same name, but they can't be called certain things like, um, like uh, Wanda and Quicksilver from the Avengers movies. Uh, Avengers, as well as Magneto's kids, so Fox could use them in uh, their X Men movies, but not call them Avengers. And Marvel <laughs> could use them in the Avengers movies, but they couldn't call them mutants. And it's like these weird. Like just legal red tape. Oh, these studios. Man. Every but I now, just want to like art, and it's such garbage behind the scenes. Yeah. It's such a trash fire of money, and I hate it. But well, no, it's okay now because Disney owns all of it, oh, so they can I, do whatever the I fuck they want. Too. Okay, so we have to. Yeah. We're gonna do a um, we're gonna wrap on this. We're gonna do a quick mailbag, and then we're gonna get out of here. So we'll be right back with a mailbag. <laughs> Alex, I swear to God, if I heard the if I hear the name or word pizza box, I'm gonna reach through this internet and punch you in the face. <laughs> well, you're in luck because the people have no pizza box questions today. Um, first Thank up, God. an email from uh, Meat Buddy Ian who says, "Hi guys, I'm sort of embarrassed to say that I'm falling way behind on new episodes and overdoing old episodes because uh, new things are getting hard to do, and I can comfort listen to things I already know, but." I listened to the I first... Get, I feel that, man. Oh, yeah, I, for and, sure. You know, like, I also, you know, I don't want to sort of date us with the sort of uh, virus panic, but maybe you'll be... We all might be spending a lot more time inside coming soon. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll finally so catch may- up on my queue, because I have so many new movies yeah. I want to watch, and yet the other night I was, like, clicking around Netflix trying to find something to do, and... Um, I I watched Space Jam. So anyway, like there's just so much new important stuff for me to watch and I was just like I kind of want to watch Michael Jordan play basketball. Yeah, I'm, what I'm saying is maybe we all should build up a little bit of a queue, you know, because <laughs> well, we're going to need it. Yeah, yeah, lo- yeah. That's a yeah. good point. So Ian continues, um but I did listen to the first Megan Falcone episode and Ooh. she was wonderful, which I already told her and she's here in the room right now. She just walked in, so it's perfect timing, Ian. Um Hi. so uh yeah, um Megan has only been on one episode of Read and Weep, and uh, so you so you called it the first. It's also currently the last, but we'll see. Um, but it really made Wishful her day. thinking. Yeah, <laughs> it was really made her day that you said that, Ian. Um, oh, yeah, it's true. She did appear in like one of the first ten episodes, singing a Space Shark song. So that is early on too. Good, good point, my love. Um, uh, let's see. Continue. Oh. Um, that one's that's a compliment for Ez, which I'll read him when he gets back. Anyway, continuing on. The main reason I send you guys a message, besides saying nice things, is if, in the highly unlikely uh, situation, uh, I do ever achieve the mythical 53 shades price... Um, okay. Um, 
So that is, it's, 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 uh, uh, to, to call you guys back to old days, um, if you want to make us watch the third Fifty Shades of Grey movie, anybody can do it. You just have to give us $1,000. That's the, what's, what's in, in our canon known as the 53 Shades price. But Ian says, if I ever did that, I had the thought that it'd be really funny uh, to do it as a season one style episode in the middle of whatever current season you guys are doing. Three. Uh, old format, old games, the original OG cast, and number it as if it was the most recent show in season one, complete with a number fact. Just an idea that I wanted to have written down somewhere. So thank you, Ian, for the idea. You'll never hear this uh, until long into the pandemic. But um, I, 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 I'll keep that word out there. If anyone wants to pay $1,000 for the 53 Shades, uh, we will sit down and watch it, and I will do my best to make it as classic old-school season one as possible. Well, also, if you if you pay that money, yeah, we'll do whatever the fuck you want. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I can't want to speak for Alex. But, yeah. You should see you what we'll do for $200. Yeah, you, uh, yeah, sure, old, if, hey man, if all we have to do is old format stuff, that's the easiest thousand bucks I've ever made. Man, you want to no. get, for for a thousand dollars, I'll watch 53 Shades, 50 Shades of Grey 3 with Tom Green, so there's a lot of good options. Um, alright, and then one more, uh, one more email, uh, this is from, for this week, this is from Jill, um, and its subject was more season three love. Uh, hi Alex and everybody else season 3 is just the best I don't know a ton about movies so I'm learning right along with you the trio of professors is hilarious and insightful and I particularly like the episodes with a female guest which I feel like is the best use of a compliment in a pushy fashion if you do a string compliment and the third one is I especially like this yes I agree we need uh, more female guests on the show I I totally agree um uh, Jill continues, the Citizen Kane episode is easily one of my top ten favorite podcast episodes. And and I think it's especially hilarious that you that I get to read that with just Anthony here, who missed out on that episode in the last minute. So, um, Anthony was a doozy. You didn't listen to it even. You haven't heard it. Yeah. But you have now contributed, so there's a coda to that episode yeah. that I'm sure Jill will enjoy. Well, honestly, I don't think I could uh, listen to it without associating it with being in agonizing pain. Because <laughs> uh, while you guys were recording it, I was yeah. unable well, to watch. But do you ever think like maybe you, you being in agonizing pain was the reason it was so good, even though yeah. you weren't there? It just like somehow tricked the universe into making the show good. Yeah, the vibrations yeah. shaking from my body. You could feel them in the air. One last thing from Jill. Small suggestion. Can you provide a three-sentence summary of the plot of each movie? So far, you've generally picked movies with wide appeal, but since I can't always watch the movie ahead of time, a little bit about the plot ahead of the gentle criticism would really help. Warmest regards, Jill. Thank you, Jill. I read that mostly just to uh, tell people at home why it was so important to me to stop you and read and do a summary at the beginning of this, Anthony. I just wanted to prove that I, that I am open to feedback i listen to criticism as long as it comes with enough compliments piled on top of it so we will i will do my best anthony you could help me remember to uh, uh, always insert a summary at the beginning i absolutely will help you do that because i do think that is a genuinely great idea it's and so one important of those things it's very easy not to do yeah it's just it's easy to yeah. get distracted but i uh I definitely want to remember to keep doing that. Yeah. If you have any email for us, we have one other email that I was going to read today, but I had already actually, it was like, it had a question that I didn't know the answer to, and I assigned Hunter to look it up, and he knows the answer, and then he had to bail. So we'll talk about that next week. Mm. Um, but if you have an email, if you have questions or compliments, and only those two things, now or suggestions or criticism, all of that, 
Um, or insights? Insights. Yeah, insights. Specifically, uh, if you have any questions about pizza boxes, I would love to hear them. Oh, actually, you know what, Anthony? Uh, no pizza box emails, but we did get a comment on Facebook today. Let me find that really fast. Um, oh, uh, from TJ on Facebook who said, such a great movie. Also, there is a pizza box. There is a pizza in the in the movie, so perhaps a pizza box discussion is in order. So I was trying to figure out a way to start a long philosophical movie conversation about the guy eating pizza. Um, and the only thing that I thought of was I was a little irritated about Fat Spider-Man eating pizza because, like, that is the turtle's thing. You can't get a new... You can't invent a new superhero who loves pizza. That is so thoroughly well, covered. No, I, I would argue that they the turtles spider-man fall under the new york thing uh oh. it's okay as long as you're from new york okay it's if a new york canon that makes sense seattle and you're chewing down on pizza get the fuck out of my who <laughs> totally who um yeah i mean that was the whole uh, inside out that was the whole dramatic move movement of that movie is this girl moves to san francisco and has to eat crappy pizza and we're supposed to feel real bad about it um but uh who owns Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? Is that a different company, or is that a Marvel thing? Um, I mean, Paramount made the... It certainly is not a Marvel property. Okay. Uh, but Paramount, I believe, owns the film rights mm-hmm. and are rebooting it yet again. Constantly, currently. yeah. Well, that's fun. because uh, The only reason that's fun is because I live like very close to the Paramount Studios, and I like jog by it. So it'll be fun to see Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles posters on the well, Paramount walls when I go by. Well, if you ever see them uh, asking for uh, pitches, I have a very good pitch for a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movie. Do you really? That I would love to make. Oh, yeah. I, I wrote a good a, a bit of a... Tried to start writing a bit of a script. But Holy I have, I have, cow. Like, okay, that's a great teaser. We're not going to have time to talk about that today because I do have to go... Um, uh, because my wife and I are going to the Magic Castle tonight. Um, Ooh, we're going to go watch fun. some magic in fancy dress. But um, as a teaser, if you if you keep listening to the show, at some point, Anthony will describe his pitch to the, for a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles sequel or reboot or but, whatever. Oh, it would be a reboot. Okay, great. Which I can't eventually wait. they're going to make another one and come and ask me. Yeah, there's yeah. always room. Um, I'm going to put out my guess just to have it on record in front of God and everybody that it's that they stay turtle sized, that they're actually turtles. But still in a human world, they're just like that's not a that's not a bad idea. standing on their hind legs, they come up to your knees, but they still like pizza and fighting crime. Anyway, um, if you have any of those things, send us an email: podcast at read weep dot com, and uh, we will have the and also take a guess as to what Anthony's um, reboot is about. All right, everybody, that is it for our show. Thank you so much for listening. We will be back again next week with another great episode of season three. Anthony, we're not going to do the. Uh, I'm not going to tell you what the movie is because we haven't decided yet, and I am not going to discuss it on the air every time. Although so many people were like the way we talked about it last week, where we talked about whether or not like you were like watch this, and then we decided to watch it for the show. Mm-hmm. I had like my my good friend friend of the show Scott, uh, producer engineer Scott, um, texted me. Yeah, you really should watch Spider Verse. Seriously, you got to watch it. Oh, I'm so excited you're watching it. So, like, mm. people were like, <laughs> and someone on, on uh, Facebook, I think, said that they cheered when we agreed to actually do it. So, people are people enjoyed That's that fun. one. But, but I, we're not gonna. I don't. I don't know what I want to do next. We're gonna have a topic conversation about that off the air. But whatever it is, we'll be sure to put it up on Facebook or t- and or but Twitter. Also, I would love to hear suggestions for what you is like. Please, what are we the missing movie out? that got you into film? Like the oh. first movie, like if. 
if you're a listener and you have like that one movie that made you think more about the making and the history of movies than just them being something you want to watch, uh, I would love to hear that. I would love, I would to, love hear to that too. That's such a, that. that's a great that's a great point. I'll, and other suggestions for episodes. I'm I'm open to all of them, and we'll do our, our best to incorporate them. I'm very open to feedback. All right. Uh, so uh, all that and more coming up next week. Thank you so much, Professor Anthony Lopez, for um, hanging out with me today in our special office hours segment. This was a delight. It was, I'm so glad you were, we got this, to watch this. This was movie. an expertly uh, navigated episode. I think it was so much because it's only two of us. I felt like I was able to joke less, and I was more focused on like learning and asking questions. But um, mm-hmm. really uh, impressive knowledge base, and you answered the questions to all my questions today so thoroughly that I feel actually smarter. It's amazing. <laughs> um, so it's, it's been a pleasure. We'll talk. I look forward to talking to you again next week. Thank you, everybody, yeah. for listening. Remember, anybody can wear a mask. Don't kill spiders. Goodbye. Psh.